the microphone volume I like right there <laughs> is more. Today we're in Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2. If you're reading out of the Pew Bible, that's what I'm reading out of. It's the one right in front of you. If you're on the floor and if you're up in the balcony, it is underneath you. Joshua chapter 2 is on page 184 in the Pew Bible. So page 184. Joshua chapter 2. Last week, we read Joshua chapter 1. In Joshua chapter 1, God says to Joshua, okay, you're, Moses has passed away, you're going to be the leader of the people, and as you'll recall, there's the very powerful pre-battle speech that God gives to him, and God says, be strong and courageous, and then God says, be strong and courageous, be, be strong and courageous, God says, because I am with you. And so you ought to expect then, after chapter 1, in which he says, be strong and courageous, go and take the land I've given you, in which Joshua says to the tribes there in chapter 1, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to cross the Jordan River, and we're going to go take all of the land God's given us. You know, you, you would expect them to all put their hands in and say, go Israel, and break, and then go about doing what God called them to do. So... You come here to chapter 2, and what happens? They're crossing the Jordan River and going in and taking the land, right? It's actually not what happens. If you look ahead, chapter 3, they cross the Jordan River. They have their big pump-up speech. They hear that they're supposed to be strong and courageous. They get their instructions to go take the land, but they don't immediately go and take the land. And so we have this account of what happens when they're supposed to run in and go take the land, and yet they don't go to it just immediately. We'll get back to that in chapter 3. For today, in chapter 2, though, we get to meet Rahab. Let's read Scripture together. Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two men as spies from the Acacia Grove, saying, Go and scout the land, especially Jericho. So they left, and they came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and they stayed there. And the king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelite men have come here tonight to investigate the land. And the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab and said, Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, for they came to investigate the entire land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And so she said, Ah, uh, yes, men did come to me. But I didn't know where they were from. At nightfall, when the city gates were about to close, the men went out, and I didn't know where they were going. Quickly, chase them, hurry, you can catch up with them. But she had taken them up on the roof and hidden them among the stalks of flax that she had arranged on the roof. And so the men pursued them along the road to the fords of the Jordan, and as soon as they left to pursue them, the city gates shut. Before the men fell asleep, she went up onto the roof and she said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that the terror of you has fallen on us and everyone who lives in the land is panicking because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And we heard what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings you completely destroyed across the Jordan. When we heard this, we lost heart 
Everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness on my father's family because I showed kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father, my mother, brothers, sisters, and all who belong to them and save us from death. The men answered her, we will give our lives for yours. If you don't report our mission, we will show kindness and faithfulness to you when the Lord gives us the land. Then she let, she let them down by a rope through the windows, and she lived in a house that was built on the wall of the city. Go to the hill country so that the men pursuing you won't find you, she said to them. Hide there for three days until they return. Afterwards, go on your way. And the men said to her, we will be free from this oath you made us swear, unless when we enter the land, you tie this scarlet cord to the window through which you let us down. Bring your father, your mother, your brothers, all your father's family into your house. If anyone goes out the door to your house, his death will be his own fault, and we will be innocent. But if anyone with you in the house should be harmed, his death will be our fault. And if you report our mission, we are free from the oath you made us swear. Let it be as you say, she replied. And she sent them away. After they had gone, she tied the scarlet cord to the window. So the two men went into the hill country, and they stayed there three days until the pursuers had returned. They searched all along the way, but they did not find them. Then the men returned and came down from the hill country, and they crossed the Jordan. And they went to Joshua, son of Nun, and reported everything that had happened to them. And they told Joshua, the Lord has handed over the entire land to us. Everyone who lives in the land is also panicking before us. This is the word of the Lord today. So, what's Jonathan, Joshua's first move? He sends spies, secretly. Secretly is an interesting piece of this. He secretly sends some spies. Be strong and courageous and go and take the land. And Joshua's first thing that he does is he... I don't know what that is. What is that? You good? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, just communicating. Uh, he sends spies secretly. They go, they come straight to Jericho. It says that they go to stay with a prostitute. Now, this is nothing nefarious happening. You ought to understand this is simply spies going to find a place where they can stay, where no one's going to ask questions. That's what they've done. You should understand this is just them hiding out in a place where people don't ask questions and don't show up and say, hey, where are you from? You new in town? Where are you going? And don't inquire about your business. So they went to a place where no one inquires about what you're doing. But Rahab knows who they are, and apparently everybody else knows who they are, and so Rahab hides them, and then Rahab commits treason against her country. She hides spies of the enemy. It's incredible what she does here. And she does this before they've even made any promises to her. Before they even go about coming to terms and making a deal for her life, she has already committed treason and lied to the king of Jericho, the king of her town, her home country and hidden these people. She's already pledged all even before she gets that promise in response to them. But sure enough, even as she declares to them that everybody in Jericho and everybody in the rest of the land are all quaking and utterly terrified. Everybody's frightened. You know, they go to this land. You, you'll recall back in the book of Numbers, Moses is supposed to send spies into land. 
But the account is different. In that account, God commands Moses to send spies into the land, and they send one for every tribe, 12 spies, so they can come back and tell the tribes about it. When God commands them to do this, it's all done publicly. It's not done secretly. They send the spies, and the spies report back that, in fact, the land is as good as God said it was, but it's the spies who come back terrified. And now these ones go into the land, and they come back and report, oh, the people are terrified. And why are the people terrified of these Israelites? After all, Jericho is a mighty fortress. No one has taken over Jericho. They have armies. They have wealth. And this group of slaves that's been traveling through the desert and has no nation is supposed to frighten them? What, what are they going to do? How are they going to tear down the walls? Who should be afraid? Except just as Rahab says, what all the people of the Philistines, what all the people of Jericho, of the land are afraid of, is they're afraid of Israel's God. They say, we, we heard what happened. Not that you have great superior strategy. Not that you have great weaponry. We heard that your God who is with you dried up the Red Sea. And that was it for us. We're, we're all bought in that that's a real God. We heard what happened when you came against the Amorites. And the Amorites opposed you and they were utterly destroyed. The Amorites. And that was enough for us. We're all terrified. All of the Philistines believe and are afraid of this one true God. And this one true God has said to the Israelites, be strong and courageous, I'm with you, go in and take the land. There's only two people named in this story. That's important. The focus is on Joshua and the focus is especially on Rahab here. But it strikes me as a bit of a false step for Joshua. Or at least Joshua is at best being compared to Rahab. Joshua hears from the Lord, be strong and courageous, go and take the land. And what does he do? Strong and courageous, he runs in there and takes the land. No, he goes, hey, you two, come here, go, go take a look, scout it out a little bit. Let's work it out. I'm gonna say, I don't suggest to you today that Joshua has done anything wrong here, but just that this is a bit of a false step or a tepid start for Joshua. And it gives us an opportunity to compare him to Rahab, who is an outsider, who is a Philistine, who is a prostitute, and yet who, at the name of the Lord, is willing to give over absolutely everything in her life in order to receive a blessing from this Lord that she only simply hopes to be able to receive. Have you ever been told by God to be strong and courageous and then kind of been a little tepid about it and nervous? Have you received a call from God to do something large and yet you've gone, eh, I don't know? The prime example for this is not Joshua, but actually Gideon in the next book of the Bible in Judges. Gideon thinks of himself as a small man and thinks of himself as awfully small potatoes. And at the time when Gideon is alive, the Midianites have come into Israel and they've taken over and Gideon is hiding out in a well. So he's kind of underground trying to thresh some wheat and make some food without anyone seeing the work that he's doing. And the angel of the Lord appears to him and says, hey, mighty warrior. And Gideon says, you've got the wrong guy. <laughs> it's not me. 
the angel of the Lord shows up to Gideon and says the same thing as he says to Joshua, be strong and courageous, the Lord is with you. And Gideon's response? Gideon says to the angel of the Lord, uh, wait right there. <laughs> no, no, I'm not joking at all. He says, wait right there. And he runs off and grabs some sacrifices, some food offerings. And the angel of the Lord tells him to place them just so, and then they are consumed by fire immediately, a sign. The angel of the Lord comes to Gideon and says, be strong and courageous, the Lord is going to use you to conquer the enemy. And Gideon says, uh, I'm going to need a sign. I'm going to have to have a test. But that's not it. That's not the end of it. Then Gideon says, okay, uh, one, more, one more test. That wasn't enough. The whole fire appearing out of nowhere and consuming the sacrifice, that was good. But let's have another one just to make sure. I'm going to take the fleece of a sheep and I'm going to lay it out on the ground. And what I want, God, is for, and when I wake up in the morning, I want the fleece to be covered in dew, but no dew anywhere else on the ground. And God says, okay. So Gideon wakes up in the morning and it's sopping wet and he wrings it out and there's buckets full. And then what does Gideon do? You think he's strong and courageous and does what the Lord says? No. And this is in Scripture. Gideon says, well, one, one more thing, God. Just want to make sure this is actually God's calling on my life. I'm going to put the fleece back out tonight, and I want the grass to all be dewy and the fleece to be absolutely dry. And God says, all right. It's just as God says, God provides sign after sign after sign after sign for Gideon. And Gideon never really trusts God and barely even makes it to the battle that God has called him to go to. The story of Gideon is the testimony of the patience of God. How good it is that we have such a patient God. But the one we have before us today is about perhaps, perhaps, some tepidness on behalf of Joshua is to take the land, but instead sends out some spies, and so Rahab gets the glory of chapter 2. We have had, if we have a bad example in Gideon and perhaps in Joshua, then we have an excellent example in many saints who have gone on before us. You've already heard about Annie Armstrong today, who Annie had a call for God on her life to do missions and to raise money for missions, and nothing stopped her. She received a lot of pushback the idea pre-communication and internet and video, and even then they didn't have a picture of her. We've just got one now. But she wrote letters and she went to churches and she demanded, insisted that these Christians do what God has called them to do and send money to start new churches. Many churches were started and many people were saved through her hard work because God called her to something and said to her, be strong and courageous, and so she did it. One of my favorite examples is George Mueller, a British gentleman who felt called to start an orphanage. And so he did, but the story of George Mueller's life is incredible. Everything God calls him to do, George says yes. He says, God, go ahead and call me to do something, and the answer is already yes. And then he, he does these wild things. He never knows where the money is coming from. He never knows how people are going to be fed or what's going to happen. And yet again and again he prays, and the Lord provides every step of the way. Joshua and the people of Israel don't need weapons or training or strategy. They have the Lord. And the Lord has said, here's your assurance of victory. I am with you. And everybody in the land, all of the enemy knows this and is terrified of this God. I say to you today, likewise, 
The Lord is with you. Just like Joshua, just like Gideon, just like Annie, just like George Mueller, the Lord has come to you and said, Be strong and courageous, for I am with you. God has purpose and plans for your life. When you come to Christ, when you put your trust in Him, He has assignment and work for you to do, purpose and meaning. And He says to each one, Be strong and courageous because I am with you. To be sure, there are plenty of people around you who can share a story of when God had called them and they were terrified and may have had missteps and not go. I'll give you mine, how about? So you know we're not just beating up on Joshua and Gideon. Uh, long ago now, the very first mission trip, mission camp that I took students on, teenagers, we went to Santa Fe, New Mexico, because the Southern Baptists own an encampment, Glorieta, New Mexico, right there. And if you're driving from Dallas, it's like an 11-hour drive, but stay with me. If you have summer camp in Texas, it's like 110 degrees outside. And uh, if you have summer camp, if you just drive a couple hours longer and go up to Santa Fe, then it's the high is 80 degrees in the day, and it's 60s at night, and this is the best part, zero humidity. Yeah. Yeah, you're going to summer camp at Santa Fe next summer, right? Uh, and so we took them up there, and we were going to a retirement home to share the gospel with people and to encourage uh, some retired folk. And there are not a lot of Christians here at this retirement home. And I had some conversations with some people, but then I sat down with this one guy, and I was so young, and I was so intimidated by this guy's story. And he was talking about how he got here, and he got there, and it was a rough story, and I didn't know what to say to it. And I... I just, I was intimidated. I knew the Lord was with me. He'd been with me for years and years. But I was just intimidated. I didn't share the gospel with that guy. And it haunted me. I tried to go back. After I got back from camp, I tried to, I talked to the pastor that I was working for at that time. Uh, and he was awfully kind and gentle to me. And he said, listen, just don't let the opportunity pass again. When the Lord calls you, answer it. Don't ever miss it. Always answer it. I went back years, every summer, I went back to that same summer camp, and I tried to go to that same retirement home and find that guy, and I never saw him again. But to be sure, I, I don't let opportunities pass by any longer if I can help it. I still remember that one time when I heard, but I had a false step myself. When I heard the call of God to do something, but I was intimidated and nervous, and I acted like Gideon. It may have been you too. You may have done this as well in your life. But the great news for you today is that the God who is patient with Joshua and the God who is patient with Gideon is the God who is patient with you as well. Now listen here. Be strong and courageous. The Lord is with you. He has purpose for this season of your life as well. If you are young... You do not have to wait until you are older to follow and obey the commands of God. If you are very old, you are not yet retired from his service, but the Lord has work for you to do. Be strong and courageous. And when you hear the call of God, know that since he is with you, you have everything that you need. Now let's turn our attention towards Rahab, the one who does it right. 
I'd like to talk for a moment about this, this interesting piece that happens here. Rahab and her whole house are saved. I find this fascinating. When Rahab hears that they're coming, brings them in, hides them, commits treason, goes to them and then asks for favor, she says, I want it for my whole family too. And the answer is, everyone else who you bring in, God will save as well. Whoever else that you reach out to and bring in, they will have that salvation as well from the wrath of God that is absolutely coming against Jericho. We read in Scripture about these times in which whole households are saved. And this is one of these times in which a whole household is saved from destruction because of the act of this one person. We often wonder how this works out. How is it that whole households are saved sometimes, and other times just one person comes to trust Christ? Perhaps it's true in your family that you alone of your family trusts and follows the Lord. Or perhaps you've been blessed to where it is your whole household. The answer is somewhat simple, actually, and it doesn't require a philosophical treatise at this point. The answer is this. Your actions affect the people around you. That's the beginning and end of it. While each person must make a decision for Christ themselves, and each person will make a decision for Christ, you can't simply will your household to trust him. Yet at the same time, your actions affect the people around you, positively or negatively. And so by all means, let it be positively. That's what happens here. These are saved from the destruction because Rahab cries out on their behalf and brings them into her house, just like Noah brings his family into the ark. And so they are all saved together. Listen to this short account from Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas are in jail for sharing the gospel. And yet a miracle happens. Acts chapter 16. About midnight, Paul and Silas were in jail, praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. It's midnight, and they're in jail, and they haven't stopped preaching the gospel. All the other prisoners are still listening to them sing about this God and talk about this God. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's chains came loose. When the jailer woke up, you're thinking he's not supposed to be asleep, is what you're to understand here. When the jailer woke up and saw the doors, the prison standing open, he drew his sword and he was going to kill himself since he assumed all the prisoners had escaped. He knew the punishment was going to be worse for him if he was asleep at the wheel and all the prisoners escaped. But Paul cried out in a loud voice, don't harm yourself, we're all here. And the jailer called for lights, and he rushed in, and he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas, and he escorted them out, and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? This is just like Rahab. This jailer comes into account with a real God, and he does exactly what Rahab does. He pulls them out of jail and bows down before him and says, What do I have to do to be saved? You name it. I'm in. Anything and everything, this jailer yields himself wholly to God, even before he hears what the terms are. He's already in completely. And Paul and Silas, what do they say? They said to him, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. 
you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him, along with everyone else in his household. And he took them the same hour that night, and he washed their wounds. And right away, he and all his family were baptized. He brought them into the house, and he set a meal before them and rejoiced because he had come to believe in God with his entire household. This account is helpful. There are various accounts throughout Scripture of a person and their whole household coming to trust the Lord. And it's a shorthand for this. It doesn't necessarily mean they are all saved because this one person was saved. Although in Joshua, they are saved from the destruction and wrath that's coming on Jericho. In Acts, what you see is, Paul and Silas share the gospel with this guy. He believes And they go share the gospel with the whole household, and they believe as well, and then they are all baptized. The idea is this, and it's not particularly complicated again. While each and every one of us comes to Christ individually, individualism itself is not one of our high virtues in faith. You come to Christ one by one, but you must follow Christ with everybody else. You can come to Christ, and you should come to Christ, and the only way to come to Christ is by your own decision and your faith. When you hear the word of the Lord, don't harden your heart. Hear it and believe it and fall on the ground like the jailer. Hear it and believe it and commit treason like Rahab. Give everything you can to this God when you hear his word, but then you will be joined to follow him with other believers. Rahab's whole family is saved. Because she turns things around. In my household, my sweet grandmother, Mama, she kind of straightened the family out. She came from a good family. She married down. But Mama insisted that they were going to do right. And you know, for his part, Papa agreed and quit doing wrong. But she drove that. I tell you, many in her household were saved because of her faithful witness and example. I tell you, there are people still in my household being saved because of her faithful example. Our actions affect those around us, positively or negatively, both intentionally and unintentionally. Repent today of your sins and do exactly what Rahab did. Go to God and pray for the salvation of the rest of your family. Next, you'll see, this story is not really about Rahab. There's only two people named, Joshua and Rahab, and yet I'm here to tell you today, not even Rahab is the main character of this story. This story is not here. This account did not happen to tell you about Rahab, but to tell you about God. See, the whole book of Joshua, as we said last week, as we continue to read through Joshua, the whole book, the purpose of it is to declare that God keeps his promises. He brings them out of Egypt through Moses, and he is going to give them the land that he promised them exactly like he said he would. God has said in Joshua chapter 1, and will demonstrate throughout this book, that no matter what, God is going to keep his promises And what's demonstrated here in this passage today is that this God is a God who accepts outsiders. Thanks be to the Lord. 
do you think of yourself as an outsider today? I heard this week from one of our members who was talking about her brother who seems to believe, who confesses faith, but also just says, I don't, I don't feel like I belong at church. To people who have said this to me in the past, who have said, oh, yeah, yeah, I believe, I just, I don't know, I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'll fit in there. I don't know if I belong at church. Who look at their lives and have some humility about themselves and have a lot of shame, too, about their past sins and go, ah, I just don't believe in there. I don't, I don't belong in there. I believe in Christ, but I just don't belong there. I always have the joy of getting to say to them, oh, I've got great news for you. All those people in that church are terrible. So you're going to fit right in. <laughs> Every last one of them is a sinner. Like, no joke, go and ask any one of them, are you a sinner? And the answer is yes. Every last member of this church started off with the confession, I'm a sinner, saved by grace. So when we come to church, some people periodically having forgot this are shocked if somebody sins. But how do you get a bunch of confessed sinners together? And, and then somebody, confessed sinners who are repentant, one is to hope for no more sin. It doesn't mean we continue to act vile. Periodically, somebody still sins, and we don't respond with shock about this. We respond as Scripture has called us to carefully and gently and lovingly, patiently correct the brother or sister and steer them back into faith. God accepts outsiders. I heard another pastor once speak who was sharing the gospel with his neighbor, and his neighbor said, oh, I don't like those Christians, they're a bunch of snakes. The pastor said, you know, well, suppose that you've lived perfectly. And the neighbor said, no, 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 I've done a bunch of stuff wrong too. And the pastor says, well, then in that case, you're welcome to slither in with us on any Sunday and come and join all the rest of the snakes. Listen, know this day that this God accepts all outsiders. It does not matter what kind of outsider you are. If he has accepted a Philistine into the camp of the Israelites, if he has accepted somebody who is an enemy combatant or at least an enemy uh, civilian into his camp, he can accept you. If he's accepted a person whose life is sin, a prostitute, then he will accept you as well. You are clearly to understand that Rahab quits her job and is no longer a prostitute from this day on. What all does Rahab do exactly to follow God? Rahab commits treason. This is important, and this is a big deal. She turns against her country for the sake of this God. She turns against her people and her culture Rahab quits her job. Rahab turns from her sin. Rahab loses to destruction much that she possesses. But she is able to draw in her family and see them saved as well. And she receives salvation from the Lord. I tell you that God will accept you as well. The only question is, what do you have to leave behind? What will you have to repent of and turn away from and be done with? 
If you're an American, I don't expect it to be treason. Yet, what are you unwilling to leave behind to follow God? You might ask me, what do I have to repent of? You might say today, okay, I want to be a Christian, but what do I have to do? You might say today, like many people have before, okay, I want to be a Christian, but do I really have to give up? You might say today, okay, I I want in, but what is it going to cost me? What do I have to give up? What has to be removed? But you tell me what needs to be removed. Rahab already knew, and you already know. What is it that you are clinging on to above and before this God? You must repent and turn away from these things. It might cost you everything to follow Christ, but in following him, you will gain everything and realize you have lost nothing worth keeping. Come, trade everything in order to receive the grace of God today. Come, give up whatever must be given up. Repent of whatever needs to be repented. Abandon whatever relationships need to go. Quit whatever job needs to be quit. Don't let anything hold you back today from following Christ. Let me give it to you firmly. Jesus has a very hard teaching for us in Luke chapter 14. And the only way to understand that is when you get to this point about Rahab, who absolutely gives everything up. You can see it in Rahab. And you read Rahab and you go, she gave everything up to follow God and she was saved. And it's only when you're remembering this story is this hard teaching of Jesus going to be comprehensible to you. Jesus says in Luke chapter 14, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? If you lay a foundation and you're not able to finish it, everyone will see it and ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king goes out to wage war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation, while the other is still a long way off, and he will beg for peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? These are hard teachings, but you can understand them if you've read Rahab, can't you? Even before she receives a promise from God... She has already given up everything in hopes that this God will be who she thinks he is. This is called faith, and Rahab has it. Do you? I don't know what you'll have to give up to follow Christ. Some have had to give up everything, and others differently. But I do know we go to him just like Rahab, and everybody who comes to him offering everything to him, he receives every single one of them. 
And I also know that everyone who comes to him and says Jesus is Lord, even if they're baptized, but holds on to what is prized and valuable to them, do not have Christ and are not his disciples. You're going to have to remember Ahab very clearly in just a couple of chapters when we get to Joshua chapter 7 and a man named Achan, who is an insider, but will not let go of everything for this Lord, and he loses everything, he and his whole household, because of his sin. Remember that, and we'll come back to Rahab when we talk about him. It's okay to have false starts. It's okay. Our sins of the past are in the past. It's okay to have false starts, but now, come, be strong and courageous, and leave behind everything that must be left to follow Christ. Know today that your actions affect those around you. It's your choice whether it's going to be positively or negatively. And while you can't will somebody else to come to Christ, yet you can do everything that you can to call and beg them to try come to Christ. Rahab becomes this great example and illustration of what a Christian looks like. She's not only saved, but she goes out and finds everybody she can to bring into her house and also be saved. This is what the Christian life is like, is it not? To go out and bring everybody in so that they can be saved as well. Know today that it's okay to be an outsider. No matter what it is that makes you feel like somebody who doesn't belong, Christ receives everybody and Christ has desired for you to come to him. So come to Jesus today. This is the God who takes all outsiders and makes them insiders of his grace, of his love, and of his family. Finally, Rahab gave up everything and anything to make peace with God, and she received it. So come and likewise turn from your sin and give your life to him. And you too will receive that scarlet ribbon to put over your door. But for us, it's not a ribbon. It's the blood of Christ shed for our sins so that our window, so that our door frame, so that every hour and moment of our life can be covered by the grace of God. His blood is sufficient to pay for all of your sins. And everyone who comes to him today will receive it in full. Father God, I thank you so much that you are so patient to us, and I thank you that you are so gracious to us. Now, Father, I pray that when we hear your word, we would not harden our hearts, but that we would come like Rahab and fling our entire lives on the ground in front of you. I pray today that you would embolden those who hear do that. And this I pray in Jesus' name.